everyone, and welcome back to the Multidimensional Journey YouTube channel and the Multidimensional Journey podcast. Thank you guys so much for returning back over and over again. And if you're new here, this channel and this podcast is all about mental health, wellness, spirituality, and with a main focus on psychedelic plant medicines and non-ordinary states of consciousness work, um, with a, even a minor focus on ayahuasca. So. A little bit about me, if you're absolutely new here, I started my journey of healing and transformation over 10 years ago almost now, and I've used a lot of tools to help me heal, including mindfulness, breath work, inner child and reparenting work, internal family systems, somatic experiencing, EMDR, and uh, ayahuasca was my first ever plant medicine and psychedelic. So um, really excited to be going over today's topic, which it is, it is a vulnerable share. I'm going to be sharing with you guys my full-blown story about my time in Peru that happened two years ago and everything that I learned there and also everything that I wish I did differently. And I really feel like what I personally went through when I was there was, although very painful for me to go through, the pearls and the wisdom of what I've gained is something that I feel like I'm meant to share with others to protect themselves, to be educated and to be wiser and more empowered participants. As ayahuasca becomes more popular, especially for the modern Westerner, it's really important that we know exactly what we're getting ourselves into. Ayahuasca is very powerful and can be very unpredictable. So I'm really excited to just share my pearls of wisdom with you. And um, it's going to give you guys a chance to get to know me more, which I'm really excited about. I feel like this is really the first time um, I've shared my story before, but I actually feel excited to share it, which is kind of crazy as I'm realizing that in this moment, that if you asked me that a year ago, or even when I got back home, I was still putting the pieces back uh, together from what I consider my plant medicine car accident. So I'll be sharing that with you guys today. But um, before we get into it, if you're interested, uh, check out the link below. Right now, ayahuasca is being consumed at a very rapid rate, and she would love it if we helped her replenishing her beautiful vine so she can continue to thrive and meet lots of other people. So there's a beautiful company named The Soul Vine. And they sponsor this opportunity that if you donate $5, it helps them plant an ayahuasca vine so we can help ayahuasca grow and flourish. So let's get into it. I'm really excited. Um, grab a drink, uh, walk around somewhere, put your headphones on because it's definitely going to be a journey. So let's, let's actually go all the way back to 2019. 2019 was the year where I decided to go from a, a very enthusiastic participant to wanting to become an ayahuasca facilitator. And this is a very long path. It's not short. It uh, requires a lot of dedication, a lot of practice, a lot of different skill sets. Um, and I was willing to put myself through this, I guess, right? So in December of 2019, I, I call it my, um, I recently, um, I had come to the realization that I really wanted to do this work. Like it really, nothing would mean more to me than to give the gift that had been given to me through the practice of ayahuasca. Through this practice of ayahuasca, I was able to contact and find my true self within, underneath all of my childhood trauma programming, all of my gender programming, all of my social programming, all of the things. That's why these plant medicines are so incredible because they allow us to get into contact with parts that have always been there, but they are quite dormant, you know, when we've um, just been in families, you know, with the programming and the cultural, it's hard to really take a beat for ourselves and really know who, who are we, right? These are the spiritual questions of a human in a soul's lifetime is who am I and what am I here really to do? And ayahuasca answered those questions for me so clearly, like eerily clearly. I had previously been a true seeker. I, you know, was in therapy. I was in a 12-step program. 
I was really committed to this path. And even on my own path, becoming um, a social worker and a therapist, my first time with ayahuasca, which was in 2016, absolutely blew my mind. It just struck me as the most intelligent uh, spirit that I had ever made contact with. And I knew from there that this practice could do things that I could never do for myself. And being someone who, you know, invested in wanting to help others, I was like, wow, <laughs> I can certainly not do what this plant medicine has just done for me. So, so fast forward to 2019 and I'm, I'm having cold feet, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. If I do this, I will have to be married to this path. You know, I, I knew deep within my soul that the type of dedication it would take to really immerse myself into this world would be nothing like I had ever experienced and I also nothing that I would ever really understand and it still stands to to be true to be super honest so um and then in January of 2020 I went to a ceremony and it was very challenging for me I um I remember being very held by the group it was a group ceremony and I remember um mainly uncovering the fears of my inner child and being held by the group as my mother. The group represented my mother and just holding me in my power to want to serve myself and to serve others and actually just grieving, um, not feeling in contact with that. And it was really amazing how I was able to feel that support from the group and the facilitator and just really coming home to myself once again in, in the ayahuasca space. And, um, that day when I came home from the ceremony, I had some ayahuasca medicine that a mentor gave me and had been sitting in my fridge for a very, very long time. And this is where it starts to get a little uh, woo-woo, so hang on. And I started to get this very strong and eerie message. It was so visceral. I, it's kind of hard to even talk about, I guess, that I just started, like ayahuasca started talking to me and she was telling me, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go home and this is what you're going to wear. This is what you're going to eat. This is how you're going to set up your place. And this is how you're going to facilitate your very first ceremony. I'm actually getting a little emotional just talking about it because the experience that I had that evening was so profound. Um, I was terrified, by the way. I called my mentor. I told her exactly what was going on. She said, you got this. You know, she told me how to reconstitute the medicine. And um, I really had to let go and surrender and trust. Like it was... Um, pretty, pretty serious. And so I listened to all the instructions. I actually went out and bought this outfit that she told me to. I printed out all the poems she told me to hang in the space. I cleaned it up. I did so much prep work. It was like probably four or five hours of prep work. Um, and I was just fully immersed in this download. I was like, whoa, this is like, um, this is a little, this is a little much. <sighs> and what I was, uh, later to find out, you know, I took the medicine, I sat back and I had my playlist with all my favorite people, all my favorite distant healers. There was Darpan, Manish Damore, Snot Tom Carr, Extral Prisma, such beautiful musicians, by the way. And they were all supporting me in my journey. And I fell asleep and I don't even know, probably an hour in, an hour and into the journey, I opened my eyes and the room was so colorful. It was just, it was effing incredible, guys. I just like, I want to cry so hard right now. And all my guides, even though I couldn't see them, I could hear them. They were congratulating me. They were saying, you did it. You listened to us. You followed through. You know, it's almost like proof that um, that my clear, whatever you want to call it, clairvoyance, clairsentience, like basically the trust in myself in this path was clearly coming through. So clear. 
And I just got a big graduation. They like celebrated me for the next like three to four hours with this color show. And so many other things happened that night that I'm not gonna get into, but it was a true deep affirmation that this is exactly what I am meant to do. So, so a lot of things happened after that, you know, um, I had to basically like decide what I was gonna do from there, integration. So in the, in the following months, you know, I had another journey, I think probably a, a couple months later where I did a five gram mushroom journey. And um, there was an Alan Watts recording that came on that basically instructed me like how to leave my job that I had been at for 10 years because to go to Peru for 10 months, I wasn't going to be able to do that. I wasn't going to be able to keep my job and go to this program that I wanted to go to, um, to go deeply learn this work. And so I, once again, I had to make a really tough decision. I still remember the conversation I had with my boss. I said, basically, I asked her, can I leave? Like, can I leave? Can I leave here? And she looked me straight in the eye and she was like, you need to do what's best for you. And this was after I wrote my resignation letter. I hadn't given it to her yet, but I was having such a hard time letting go. And I share that because this is what happens in the integration process sometimes is that, you know, it's really hard to let go of things that we know so, so well. And I don't share this so you can repeat what I did, by the way. I'm really just sharing my story. Um, and so I left, I left my job, you know, I left my job and I applied for a program in Peru. Um, and I would be leaving um, in April of 2021. So I spent all of 2020, like getting my affairs in order, reorganizing my life to run my own business. Um, and that was uh, a whole thing in itself. You know, being completely solo in a business for the first time is is, uh, is a lot of work. Um, and so I just, you know, I did all these changes. I created a new relationship with money. I saved an amount, an amount of money that I had never saved up in my entire life. Um, I made all these changes, as you can see. And so let's fast forward to 2021. Uh, when I actually get to Peru. So here we are, <laughs> kind of 10 minutes in here and we're finally getting to it. But I, I kind of preface this with, um, you know, all the work I had put in to be here and then, you know, my tragic car accident happens, which was a total blow to my ego. It was absolutely excruciating. And I'll tell you, it took me a really long time to understand it. I'll tell you this, that I don't think it needed to happen this way. So this is where you get to learn from my mistakes. So we'll share that uh, a little bit later. So um, there's 20 of us in this program that arrive fresh into Peru. Um, we're complete strangers and we're all getting initiated into the Shipibo tradition. And it was very intense. You know, you when you arrive, you have to walk up like this really muddy mountain and it was really interesting. I remember like thinking, I'm like, this is not what I saw on the website. <laughs> I did not imagine myself walking up this muddy road and I was like carrying all this stuff and it was like, damn. And I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And this is just the beginning, you know, hasn't even started yet. And so the first week is when it happened. So the moment, you know, the first Monday that we arrived there in this program, you sit three, three nights a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for two months. So it is very, very intense. Uh, in total, you get to a chance to do 24 ceremonies. You get to lead one of those ceremonies. You do two master plant dietas, which in the indigenous context is when you go into a very focused and committed uh, relationship with the plants and you um, you don't eat any sugar, you don't eat any salt, uh, no meat, uh, basically vegetables. And um, uh, yeah, and like basically you are, I mean, think about it. Everyone traveled very far away from their families for the first time maybe. In my case, this was definitely my first time. And 
I had gone into this uh, experience, this two-month experience with 25 ayahuasca experiences under my belt that were all very, very positive, meaning even when they were challenging, and there, there has been some very challenging ones, by the way, I always felt really held and sacred, and I trusted myself. I trusted myself. This is the key thing here, guys. I trusted myself, and I trusted the medicine with my life, truly, deeply. I mean that 100%. And um, so the first Monday, I went into ceremony after we did these all these purges and purgatives, and the Wednesday night, I decided to sit out and just take care of myself. I could already tell my nervous system was starting to get overactivated. I am in a completely different country. I had never dieted this strictly in my life. I was completely off of caffeine at this point. Um, and it's a whole new culture, guys. It's culture shock. I, I want to add that, you know, it's a, it's a completely different set of beliefs that I had ever, you know, thought of in, in regards to ayahuasca before I came there. Um, so all these different things. So that Friday, I really said like, hey, this is what you came here for. So let's go deeper. You know, let's really commit. Like we've had a week to settle in. You can do this. And I'll just fast forward to what happened that evening. So this is the psychedelic or plant medicine car accident that I received in my experience. So on Friday night, we arrive in the Maloka. It's 8 p.m. And I have the pre-ceremony jitters like I always do. And I'm grounding. I'm doing my breathing. I'm meditating. And essentially I am absolutely ready. I'm ready to go. Like I, the warrior in me is like speaking, it's coursing through my veins. I'm like, I am built for this. And, um, I go up for my dose and in this experience, there was no measuring of doses. They just hand you a cup and you drink whatever you want. And this is where we'll learn later. This is what I teach on now that I do not believe in this practice that we need to measure our doses, especially when we're going in absolutely brand new settings where we don't know what what the ratio of maoi to dmt is we really need to be careful and go slow but in this moment i took the cup there was probably about 50 milliliters in that cup um and i prayed and set my intentions and i took two big gulps and i held my breath when i took these two big gulps and um after i swallowed the second dose i took a big deep breath in and this is the moment where I knew, whoo, whoa, we're in for it tonight. Because at this point, I was a pretty, you know, I'm still a beginner drinker, but I had enough experience to know that the ratio of MAOI to DMT, the DMT was coming through strong. It was a high DMT batch, which means highly hallucinogenic, highly all these things, right? So I go back to my mat and I just start breathing. I just start breathing. I start regulating. I'm a little concerned but everything's good. The Icaros start, the singing starts. And in the beginning, I started to float into this land of Noya Rao. You know, Noya Rao is the plant that is highly appreciated and revered, I guess I could say, in this culture. And I saw the glowing leaves and it was beautiful. I was going into this very beautiful vision. And um, as I was going into it, I started to feel like I was getting a little too high. And my body was dissolving and the room is pitch black. It is very, very dark and I'm starting to disappear. And I'm just breathing through it, you know, just breathing through it. And we're probably about, we're probably 45, 30, 45 minutes into the experience, okay? So not, <laughs> not long at all. And then someone in the room starts screaming and they're having a very challenging experience. And this starts to activate my nervous system even more. So the beautiful vision completely disappears and I'm now 
really high and really activated. So, and this is, this has been one of my biggest lessons in set, setting and dosage. I feel like this is why I went through this. So I could really educate people who are brand new to these experiences, who are going to brand new places and how to really safeguard themselves. So I know at this point I'm, I'm in trouble. Like this is beyond me and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I yell out to a facilitator and say, I need help. I need help. Please someone come help me. And the facilitator said that, can someone go help her? We're all helping this other person. And this other person was the one who was having a very vocal, challenging experience. And at that point I started to, or my nervous system started to shut down and freeze up because I was spiraling on the inside and every documentary where basically talks about where ayahuasca goes wrong, literally was flashing through my mind. And all I wanted to do was run out of there because I knew once I got away from the yelling, plus the very loud ikaros, by the way, that were being amplified by the ayahuasca. I mean, at one point, if I'm being super candid, I could taste sounds. It was very, um, it would be your textbook, like, you know, psychosis, essentially. And because of my therapy training, I had that insight. I knew that I was not in, in good waters. And it wasn't a matter of surrendering. It wasn't a matter of me not being able to let go. It was a matter of a high dose that was too activating in a setting that was too activating with no no one there to co-regulate with me. Now, a beautiful and lovely student made an attempt to calm me down, but it felt very more activating because in this tradition, we're taught to blow mapacho and use agua de florida to calm somebody down. And, you know, granted, we're in the first week of the program. Remember that. And I can tell I'm getting a little judgmental and some of my protector parts are coming out, but this is me being authentic. So bear with me. Um, so... I remember letting that student know, like, no, I don't want that. That's no, please just sit next to me and hold me and tell me everything is going to be okay. Because at that point, I was terrified and I had never been here before in ayahuasca land. I was perplexed, mortified. You know, I forgot to mention this part, but after that that solo I had in um, 2020, I went and got a tattoo on my ring finger and I was like, I am married to this path. And I had previously had other tattoos of ayahuasca on my body. And in fact, after my second session with ayahuasca, I had gotten a tattoo of a vine and a leaf and more leaves added, you know, previously in my life when I was like 17. It was a very um, spiritual experience that I didn't really know what was happening. And I didn't really know what I was drinking for a while when I was working with my mentor. And then I Googled it one day and I was like, holy crap, this stuff is made out of a vine and a leaf. This is all over my body. This is this has got to be what all of this is about, you know. And then I got more tattoos added. So that's just a little background. So as I'm in this experience, I'm like... Um, I'm getting all these tattoos removed when I get home. I never want to do this again. This is crazy. This is insanity. And before I left to Peru, I like chose to go into this program versus going into a breathwork facilitator program. And I was just like, man, I really wish I chose that breathwork facilitator program. So um, I'm recounting it in a very logical and rational way. But just imagine being highly triggered and being really high on something and no one's really there to help me. And the room is absolutely chaotic it was a lot. These are not the uh, these are not the elements that are conducive for healing, you know. So this list lasts about an hour and a half. The peak of it, where I feel totally trapped and frozen, I'm shutting down, and I'm just like I'm not able to calm down, and it's just like a terrible experience for me. And as I come back to the room, um, I'm just like I'm like ripped to shreds. I'm totally in disbelief, and I'm. Like, seriously, I'm just scared. I'm so scared. What have I done? What have I gotten myself into? And 
in the morning, I talked to the facilitators about going home. And there were so many people who told me, whatever you do, don't go home. Because it's very common, I guess, in this program that people want to leave because it's too intense. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, I've just changed my entire life to do this. And like, this is what I get, you know? And I'm grieving. I'm grieving so hard. Like, I'm just grieving, grieving, grieving. And I'm talking to the facilitator and we have a very grounded conversation and he encourages me to stay. And I basically, I made a decision at that point that it's cheaper to stay here than to go back home because there's no refunds. <laughs> so I basically put myself on a trauma protocol because I knew what happened was I was severely traumatized. And I know that because of all my training in trauma. And I really feel for the people that have reached out to me who have related to my story, who don't have that training, who don't have the skills. Like to me, I was like, what? This cannot, this is like, I was like, this is crazy. So I go into deep meditation. I start doing breath work to discharge what happened. I start doing inner child and reparenting work to really calm my frightened inner child. Um, and I start doing EMDR on myself and um, I don't drink medicine probably for another two weeks. I, I don't, I come to the ceremonies, but I am not drinking. I'm sitting and and so I'm just, I'm kind of thinking of the timeline here. So once I started to feel more comfortable again to drink medicine, I started to do a practice of reacclimating and titrating my dose. And I titrated myself back into a safe dose while I was there. And, um, but it was very, very, very difficult. I felt like I had to really hold it together uh, for two months, basically. And I honestly don't think many people really understand what this experience is like. Because oftentimes, I mean, I used to be one of those people that said, there's no such thing as a bad psychedelic or plant medicine trip. But I had never experienced trauma, active trauma in my own home, in my psychedelic and plant medicine home. I had never experienced that before. Not my childhood home, but my new home, that my new place that I have built so much beauty in and so much trust and respect and safety. Like, I, it's hard to explain guys, but I, really felt at home in the ayahuasca space. I felt like I really knew, even in all the unpredictability, I could fully surrender and let go. And um, this now did not become the case. I was still very scared, even when I was acclimating and titrating my dose and all of these things, you know, and somatically, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I was left with a lot to clean up. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know. I can safely say in April of this year, we have cleaned house, mostly, but there's still some residuals um, that are left to be cleaned up. But I feel like a lot of it has been healed, you know? So essentially, the way to explain it, the way I call it my plant medicine or psychedelic car accident is because when you get into a car, most of us feel fairly safe. We feel like, you know, we can almost go on autopilot sometimes. We can let go, right? But after a car accident, you know, we get really nervous. We're looking in the rearview mirror. We're very tense, hypervigilant, looking all over the place, looking for those signs of danger. Our nervous system is looking for those signs of danger. And that is what trauma is. It's a memory that's imprinted very deeply into our nervous system. And then our nervous system will employ us, will employ certain physiological, anatomical mechanisms to fire off, to protect us, to make sure it doesn't happen again. So this is, this is what my experience had been, you know, for the duration of the program that I could really now, especially with all my healing, I could tell that my guard was up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but so I'll share, I'm going to share, let's move into the part that you're here for, how to prevent it and ways that I healed from it. So one of, you know, I highly educate on how to prevent these experiences by making sure you're choosing the right setting for yourself, 
really making sure like this is the the setting that is in alignment with your intention and doing really good prep as well. So I feel like I did both of those really, really well. The one thing that I highly educate on uh, more than anything else, other than a good preparation and choosing the right setting is last, but definitely not least is our biggest safeguard, which is dosing slowly. So if that evening I took it a little slower, I would have been able to sit back and read the room and be like, whoa, this is not the energy I want to go deeper in. I can wait another night. Like this is, this room is wild right now. This is too much for my nervous system. But since I went in fairly quickly and deeply, my nervous system did not have time to catch up or make a choice, make a different choice. So I always tell my students, you can always take more, but you can't take less. So that's why it's so important to slowly acclimate ourselves to a dose by titrating it, especially when we're completely new to a setting and the certain batch of medicine. Ayahuasca is always different. It's, I mean, every psychedelic journey is always different, but, and I do believe in acclimation doses like all the time, you know, to safely, to safely go in slowly because we're not too sure how we're going to feel or what the setting is going to be like, or what our nervous system is going to be like. Even when we've done impeccable preparation, um, we've done all the research on the retreat center or the facilitator. Um, so yeah, that's, those are, those are some things to really just be mindful of and really take into consideration. The, the other thing prior to this experience that was so different from my experiences in Peru is that I always had very deep relationships with my facilitators. And when we go into group experiences, we often don't get that because we're meeting the facilitator for the first time, um, other than maybe a couple of intro calls. And I do educate and I, you know, um, encourage people to have deep relationships with their facilitators because that allows for a deeper connection. And I also really encourage one-on-one experiences before advancing to group experiences because the ayahuasca in itself is a lot to take in, uh, the nervous system to calibrate for. There is a lot happening. There's just so much, right? And um, and being in a group experience, I consider that advanced because now there is several nervous systems in the room. And no matter how strong you are or how uh, how good your boundaries are, the truth is, is that ayahuasca dissolves boundaries. And in a group setting, if it becomes chaotic, it can be a lot to take in. So once again, going back to the dose, that's how we can safeguard ourselves is we have that choice to turn the car around, to be like, okay, this is really good for me right here. You know, this is my Goldilocks dose. I don't need to push it any further. And I think there is something else to say is that I do believe um, from, you know, some content I've been curious about lately or just like what's going on in the space is that there is now being more of a recognition that like, um, microdosing or slow dosing or acclimation doses, like they can be just as powerful as macro doses, excuse me. You know, macro doses are considered a very high therapeutic uh, threshold dose for somebody, which is different for everybody. Um, So this is really, really important. Once again, this is one of our biggest safeguards. So I have had, in terms of how I've healed from this experience, um, number one, number one, it was the recognition of, of fully realizing that I was traumatized. I think when I came back home, I was still in denial. I, I had done a round of um, advanced resolution therapy, which is a different form of EMDR uh, with somebody. And I didn't feel like that really got fully to it because ART more so focuses on the positive aspects and restoring the, I don't, don't want to say positive, pleasurable aspects of a memory. Um, and I really felt like 
what was necessary was to go deeper into the sheer terror of what I experienced because that is what happened. So um, I worked on that with my therapist, which was really incredible. And we really, the, the, the roots and true healing of it was um, my nervous system freezing up and actually wanting to run out of the room because that's what my intuition told me. But I was too scared because I thought I was going to get in trouble, which is a very common group boundary is that you have to stay in the space. That's the other thing that I educate my students on is that asking the retreat center or the facilitator if there is a quiet room or if there's a separate room that they can go into. I think this is really important in group dynamics that we have ways to help our fellow participants soothe and ground outside of all the noise that can happen in a group setting. Um, so I was able to run in my EMDR experiences fully, like full embodied run. And I was able to reclaim the core beliefs of I am safe. I am in control. And I know what to do now. I know how to safeguard myself from this ever happening again. I really do. And so here comes the second part. So with psychedelic and plant medicine traumas, the thing is, is that the healing has to occur outside and inside of the experience. So I was halfway done healing, basically. The second part would be actually going back into the experience in a trauma-informed way where someone could actually hold space while I was working through the traumas of what happened. So I basically hired an ayahuasca mentor to hold space for me while I reacclimated to my dose. And it was amazing. I cried. I felt held. I felt fully seen and fully heard in what I had experienced because I held it in for a really long time. I really did. I felt, you can even say, I felt some shame about it for a little bit, but I have done enough shame work to know that that isn't, that wasn't the truth. But I did feel some shame because how much I had shifted and changed to be there. And then I felt like while I was there, I felt very isolated, like no one really could understand what I had been through. Because the truth is, there's no way they could have, you know, I wasn't able to fully verbalize exactly what happened yet, because I was still digesting it, you know, and I kind of just like, hunkered down and white, white knuckled it a little bit, just so I could stay there. And I'm, I am still glad I didn't go home early, by the way, but it, from a somatic and a trauma perspective, it maybe wasn't the complete best route. So, but with my mentor, we were able to do three ayahuasca sessions where I was able to fully titrate into a therapeutic dose for myself. Um, but I really feel like this experience has like totally shifted the way I show up in this space and the way I educate people. I, I've shifted a lot of things. I really, I cater now specifically to modern Westerners. I teach them about trauma-informed tools for preparation and integration. I teach them how to really pre-vet their experiences. And probably the biggest thing is I empower participants to be the agent of their transformation in these experiences, that we're not, we're not putting the power of these experiences in somebody else's hands, which I really do feel like I put my program that I went into, I put it on a pedestal. You know, I really did, which is a very common mistake. And I will say this though, like it is normal and I would say healthy to an extent to put our trust in the people that are holding space for us. And as empowered participants, we really want to prevent them. We really want to make sure that these settings can really hold what we need. So um, I educate my students in what to ask. Um, and even down to like, do you need a male facilitator or a female facilitator? Do you need someone to be there with you the entire time? Are you okay with group? Are you okay with the daytime, the nighttime? Really getting into somebody's preferences. I, I was definitely this way before this experience, but now after this, it's really about the preferences and now the dosing education. 
and it's a uh, it's been it's been liberating. I can say that it's been very liberating to um, find an identity, have it completely dismantled, and then rebuild it back up again. So, um, so yeah, just to kind of tie a bow on that. So the EMDR, the titrated sessions, and also somatic experiencing, breath work, mindfulness, inner child and reparenting work, parts work. These are all tools that haven't just helped me like heal my trauma before I even came to ayahuasca, but they were the exact tools that helped me heal an adult trauma. And it's such a dichotomy because this was something that helped me heal. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it was like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, and uh, these are all the tools I teach now with uh, ayahuasca preparation and integration. So I think just moving forward, I, I'm, I'm, I'm even having a hard time like saying it or, or getting it out of my mouth. I still want to be, you know, an ayahuasca facilitator. And at the same time, I've really like, I've done everything I can do to make that happen. And I think that's been my lesson here is to let go and to stop making it happen is to actually sit back, enjoy, listen. And the thing about the ayahuasca path that has been uncanny compared to any other path that I've been on in my life is that it's not something that I can figure out. It's constantly reshaping itself. Um, and I appreciate, you know, ayahuasca for that. And in terms of, you know, my relationship with ayahuasca, we've gone from cold feet to being married. And then the jungle would represent our trials and tribulations that we had together. You know, after we got married, um, like, yeah, then some deep, like real stuff happens and you, you know, are you committed or are you not? And I guess I'm still here, you know, so I'm committed. Uh, but I just wanted to share that, that the ethnogenic spirit and relationship has been very real for me. It's been highly personified for me, which it may not be for everybody, but it has for me. And I really do think in the end that my personification of ayahuasca is really the marriage to myself and my own path. And, you know, um, it's, it's, hmm, it's a little mystical in a way, mystical, like, you know, there, there's a lot of cultures and traditions and rituals for initiation. And usually initiation does require some uh, like annihilation or awakening, right? And at the same time, I really do believe that the way that that happened in the jungle, it didn't need to happen that way, but it did. And so we're here with this right now. So now where I educate from is from a place of, you know, how to share the experiences that I had previously, you know, before ever going to the jungle and the sweet feminine and being held by the divine and finding our sweet spot in these spaces where we can fully trust ourselves. None of us can really heal in a chaotic environment or a chaotic, a chaotic internal or external environment. It's, um, I would argue that is scientifically impossible. You know, it's really in the soft strokes and the, um, you know, the conditions of our own preparation and our settings and our dose that really create these like very beautiful experiences. So, um, take what you like, leave the rest. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to my journey and, um, that's a wrap for today. <laughs> Once again, thank you for just letting me share and be vulnerable. I hope you got something out of this and be sure to check all the links below. If you want to work with me, if you want to come to my monthly circles for preparation and integration, breath work, my workshops, sign up for my newsletter all below. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Take care.